are listening to a podcast of Elam Lutheran Church in Osakis, Minnesota. Our passion is to be an oasis of life-giving water where lost and wandering souls can find eternal refreshment. For more information and to find out more about our ministries, please visit osakiselamchurch.com. Or if you're in the area, come visit us in person. Sin. Their lives are messy and they needed forgiveness. The truth is that just like us, they were sinners, saved by grace and loved by God apart from their own efforts. God has always used messy, broken people to fulfill his good purposes because messy, broken people are the only kind of people that exist. Good morning again. Our text today comes from the book of Genesis. We're going to be in chapter 16. I'll read verses 1 through 6. So I'll ask you to rise this morning for the reading of God's Word. Today we're talking about Sarah and Sarah's jealousy. So Genesis 16, verses 1 through 6. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram as her, her husband as a wife. And he went in to Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. Let's pray. God, we ask your blessing upon our time here and your word together. We thank you for your word, God, that it is alive and active and it is always speaking to our hearts and to our minds. I pray that you would give us hearts, minds, and ears to hear what you are saying to us, God. Work through your Holy Spirit to convict us, to correct us, to encourage us, to point us toward Jesus once again, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We pray all of this in his name. Amen. You may be seated. The story of Sarah and Hagar is the classic story of jealousy. You know, as I read through these stories of Scripture, we've been going through this series, Broken Heroes, as I read through them, more and more, I am just continually astounded that God was able to work through these people at all. Like, isn't it just a miracle that through some of the the most heinous, terrible, sinful, rebellious behavior... Uh, God still brings about His wonderful purposes, and human sin can't thwart them. I'm just perpetually amazed by this as I, as I go through each week. There's, like, there's, there's bickering, and, and there's petty jealousy, and outright rebellion against God. I mean, as you read through the story of Sarah and Hagar, which, by the way, Sarai, just the, the name before 
Sarah's name got changed. So Sarai, Sarah, same person. Uh, same with Abram. Abram, Abraham, same person. His name later gets changed when God um, ratifies his covenant with them. But this story, as I was reading through it, Sarah and Hagar, I was like, this kind of, this reads almost like an episode of the Maury Povich show. Like we've got one baby daddy and two women fighting who end up despising each other and the effects of sin passed down from generation to generation. Now remember, at this point in the story, Abraham and Sarah are old, like grandparents old, well past childbearing age, right? But God had made this promise to Abraham that he was going to provide an offspring. He was going to provide this this child of promise despite their old age. And that his descendants would be as numerous as the sand on the seashore. They would be his chosen people. This is where the Israelites would come from. He would bless them. They would be a blessing to others. And, and he would give them a land of their own. Does this sound familiar? This is what we call the Abrahamic covenant. You can read about it in Genesis 12, the, the initial verses there. And then God does this thing, and, and he does this in a lot of cases where he gives the covenant, and then what he'll do is he'll ratify the covenant. So he'll kind of second it. He'll verify it. And so just a, a few chapters later in Genesis 15, God does this thing where he ratifies the, the Abrahamic covenant. You may remember how the story goes. There's a, a sacrifice. Abraham makes a sacrifice. Sacrifice was a big part of what happened in the Old Testament. This is how sin was atoned for. So Abraham makes a sacrifice kills an animal. The, the animals are, are separated. Their parts are separated in half. And uh, God causes a sleep to fall upon Abraham. And as he is uh, asleep, this, this blazing torch and this fire pot pass through. It's really an incredible story. Pass through between the two pieces, in es- es- essentially showing that this is how God is going to cover um, our failings, to cover Abraham's covenant to be faithful to him. Blood was required for this covenant, and God sealed it in blood. So he's basically saying, look, yes, Abraham, I'm going to do it, right? I made this covenant with you. I made this promise with you. I've, you know, said it multiple times, and and I'm going to see it through. I'm going to provide you an heir. Just be patient. Just have faith. I'll take care of everything. But then... Literally in the very next verse, we have our text for today, and Sarah decides to take the matter into her own hands. So she hatches this plan to have Abraham take Hagar, who was her Egyptian slave. If you remember earlier in Abraham and Sarah's story, they spent some time in Egypt. So it was likely that when they were in Egypt, they acquired this servant girl, this slave, Hagar, And Abraham takes her as a second wife. Sarah thinks, look, God is just, he's taking too long to fulfill his promises. So she thinks, well, maybe he just needs this extra little push from me. And Abraham goes right along with it. He sleeps with Hagar. She becomes pregnant. And keep in mind that Hagar was a slave, which meant she didn't have any rights of her own. It wasn't as if she had a choice in the matter, no power, no agency. She couldn't say no when her 85-year-old master commands her to sleep with him. So this is some, some pretty messy stuff, some pretty sinful things going on here. So they, they do the deed. Hagar becomes pregnant, and Sarah gets jealous, which is interesting because it was Sarah's idea in the first place. 
And what happens is Sarah dealt harshly with her. Other translations say she mistreated her or she afflicted her. She dealt cruelly with her. The message, which is a paraphrase of the Bible, says she was abusive to her. So Hagar, this pregnant foreign slave woman, flees into the wilderness. And this pattern of behavior, it wasn't a one-time thing with Sarah either. If you flip your Bibles ahead just a few chapters, you will notice it's almost like a mirror image. Like you, you, you read, we just read what we read, but then again in uh, Genesis 21, you see another instance with the same result. And you're like, didn't I just read this? Yes, you did. Uh, it's kind of the same thing where Sarah again drives Hagar out into the wilderness with her child. So we've got all of this cruelty and all of this malice, all of this pain, all of this suffering and, and brokenness in the family, all because of jealousy. Jealousy can make us do some pretty crazy things, right? Maybe you remember the story of Lisa Nowak, the astronaut in training who in 2007, the story was all over the place, she drove nonstop. You remember that she drove nonstop from Houston, Texas to Orlando, Florida, supposedly wearing a diaper the whole way so she wouldn't have to stop to use the restroom, all to confront the girlfriend of another astronaut whom she had an affair with. Jealous. Jealousy at its most extreme. Now, while most of us haven't been involved in an astronaut love triangle, we can all relate to jealousy on some level. Another word the Bible uses for jealousy is envy. It means to get heated, like physically hot almost internally. It's often described as a kind of fire, like this, this really intense, just seething emotional rage. And jealousy takes a lot of different forms. In many ways, it's very similar to greed, but jealousy kind of has like a, a personal edge to it as well. Almost a spiteful hatred toward the person who has what we don't. And we can be jealous about all sorts of things, right? We can be jealous about shoes. We can be jealous about my friend's boat. We can be jealous about, you know, the, the food that these people are, are able to eat. We can be jealous about their house. All this stuff, right? That's kind of the obvious thing we can be jealous about. But we can also be jealous of people. We can be jealous of who they are, of their skills, of their abilities, of their assets, and think, man, I kind of wish I wasn't me. I really wish I was, I was this person, right? Now, admiring other people is one thing. This is good and praiseworthy to recognize the image of God in others and to celebrate it, which leads you to greater love of that person, or it can. But envying them is something different because it's never directed toward the good of the other person. Envy leads to less love, not more. Can you see the difference there? Admiration versus envy. The funny thing about jealousy is that unlike most other sins, it doesn't feel good for anyone, like ever. The person who is jealous or the person that they're jealous of, like there's no payoff for it, which is different from many other sins. In his book, Envy, author Joseph Epstein says that of the seven deadly sins, only envy is no fun at all. <laughs> and what he means by that is like with other sins, say lust or pride, there's at least some 
feel-good component. There's some self-justification, something like a payoff, right? But not so with jealousy. In fact, jealousy actually has some negative health effects. In a recent article, Arthur C. Brooks talks about this, and he says, unsurprisingly, psychologists have found that envy pushes down life satisfaction and depresses well-being. Envy is positively correlated with depression and eroticism, and the hostility it breeds may actually make us sick. He goes on to say, recent work suggests that envy can help explain our complicated relationship with social media. It often leads to destructive social comparison, which decreases happiness. To understand this, he says, just picture yourself scrolling through your ex's wedding photos. That's true, isn't it? Anybody here been on social media recently? Anybody ever come off of social media thinking, boy, I really feel good about myself? Not usually, right? It's kind of the opposite. We get jealous of our friends and the great lives they seem to be leading and their families who are always way more photogenic and seem way happier and more put together in their pictures than ours. You know, they've got these perfect Insta-filtered meals that everyone seems to be enjoying in five-star restaurants when, like, I'm over here eating my third PB&J of the day. Social media is a breeding ground for discontent and jealousy because it inevitably leads to comparison. It leads us to think that our value comes from our performance rather than Christ's performance. You scroll through your friends' feeds and you'll see that their houses always look bigger. Their lives always look more successful than yours. Their faces are always happier. Their, their smiles are much bigger. They have way more friends, they're traveling to way more exotic places, and apparently they have way way more money to spend than you do, and it leads to feelings of discontent, anger, and jealousy. In Proverbs 14.30, King Solomon, he puts it this way, I think this is a great description of it, he says, A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. Envy makes the bones rot rot. Man, that's a visceral description. I think it's, it's really true, isn't it? Envy eats us up inside. It eats us alive from the inside, as a matter of fact. You're kind of just, just crumbling internally. And in the end, jealousy, like all sin, leads to death. It severs our relationships with one another. It fractures and severs our relationship with God separating us from Him eternally. And it's a really, really serious business. In fact, when you go to the New Testament, uh, a lot of times the Apostle Paul in particular will, will give a, a list of sins, so kind of group everything together. And when he mentions things like envy and jealousy, he, he names them right along some other ones like drunkenness and immorality and idolatry and sorcery. Right, those are the sins that we look at and we're like, oh yeah, man, those are just terrible. Those are like on their own level. Well, interestingly enough, the Bible says jealousy is right in that same group too. But for some reason, we don't think jealousy is as bad as, say, drunkenness. I wonder why that is. 
James 3.16, though, lays out the truth as, as plain as day. 3.16, there's a lot of good 3.16s in the Bible, aren't there? But James 3.16 says, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Wages of sin is death. So the question naturally arises, what is the antidote to jealousy, right? What is the cure? Well, it's actually simpler than we might think. It's the same cure as with any other sin. It's the gospel, the good news that Jesus died and rose again to forgive our sins and to make a way for us to have a personal relationship with Him. Through faith, He forgives our envy and jealousy, not by ignoring it or or passing over it or brushing it under the rug, but by taking it on Himself at the cross and bearing the consequences of our sin in His own body. He's treated as if He were the jealous one. And we receive by faith His perfect righteousness. As ugly as the story of Sarah and Hagar is, uh, it actually has a very beautiful ending. And I'm going to read that ending to you today. So we left off in verse 6. Here's Genesis 16, verses 7 through 16. So remember, at this point in the story, Sarah had just mistreated Hagar, right? She, she had fled into the wilderness in fear of her life, and then the story takes a surprising turn. Here's what it says. The angel of the Lord found her, this is Hagar, the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. So she was likely on her way back to Egypt. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly here I have, been, I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Bir Lahai Roy, it lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. So here is Hagar, right, out, out in the wilderness, destitute, lost, with no family, no protection, powerless to save herself, and right there in the midst of what seems to be a hopeless situation, God shows up. 
He provides for her. He protects her. He listens to her. He gives her a promise. And He loves her. And He won't let sin keep Him from fulfilling His good purposes toward Hagar. I love Hagar's response in verse 13. Again, so she, she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly here I have seen Him who looks after me. What about you? Do you feel seen today? Do you believe that God sees you and that He doesn't turn away, but that He loves you? He finds us lost in the wilderness of our own sin, and He comes to provide us with living waters, to offer eternal life to all who believe. God provided for Hagar. He provided salvation for her, and He provides salvation for us too. Like a rescue helicopter drops a stretcher from the sky, God dropped a rescue in the form of a cross. To save us from the sin we couldn't save ourselves from. And through faith we receive the benefits of this rescue. And we respond to God's initiative toward us, right? We did not choose Him, He chose us. And the cross means that even our worst sin, like even the worst thing any of us have done or ever will do has been nailed to the cross and it can, cannot come back to haunt you anymore. Nothing will stand in His way. As Paul says in Romans 8, 38-39, For I am sure that neither life nor death Neither angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He rescued Hagar, who by the way wasn't blameless in this story. He even rescued Sarah from her own jealous heart fulfilling His promise to provide her with an heir, Isaac, the son of promise. And through Isaac, the line of the Messiah was preserved, and Jesus, the Savior of the world, would come to you and to me. Jesus, who was never envious, never jealous, never compared Himself with others to see how well He was doing. He was well-pleasing in the eyes of His Father. That was enough for him. So may that be enough for us as well. And may he continue to mold us, his church, into people known not for rivalry or envy or jealousy, but for blessed peace and contentedness in Jesus Christ alone. Amen. Come back next week and we will talk about Solomon's idolatry. Hey friends, Pastor Luke here. Thanks so much for tuning in. I trust that you've been blessed by our message from God's Word today. Hey, we'd love to connect with you more. 
If you have comments or questions, you can email me directly at pastorchellog at gmail.com. That's Pastor K J O L H A U G at gmail.com. As we wrap up our time together today, please receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Amen.